That's a hard act to follow, but Rob, you've got to try. Can we welcome Rob? He's going to come and preach to us this morning. Thank you, Tom. Great, thank you. Yeah, that was a hard act to follow. I was getting quite into that as well. What will happen next? Excellent. Okay, well, as Tom said, my name's Rob. I'm one of the elders here at Christchurch, and I'd just like to welcome you as well. Uh, welcome also to those who are watching at home. Um, as we've as we've already said, we're looking at the book of Corinthians, uh, most of this year, in fact, Corinthians 1, Corinthians 2. And um, before we go any further, I just want to recommend a couple of books. I know Sai uh, has already recommended this one, but Tom Wright's book on Corinthians is excellent. Um, yeah, it's just so well structured. Uh, there's so much information on every um, verse, but also it's just really accessible. Um, and if you're like me, you want it nice and simple, this one's for you. But also I'd like to recommend this one as well by Phil Moore. Um, I don't know if anyone's read any of these, Straight to the Heart series. Anyone read any of these? A few? Yeah, excellent. Um, he's written one of these on most books of the Bible. I've read a few of them already, and this one is just as excellent as the others. They're broken up into 60, uh, 60 chapters, so you can do one a day for two months, and only take about five minutes to read. But the illustrations that he uses to explain the verses are absolutely fantastic. So I highly recommend Phil Moore's Straight to the Heart series. Okay, so today we're looking at 1 Corinthians 3. If you have a Bible, um, it'd be great if you could find it. It will be up behind me as well. Um, but just to remind you, two weeks ago, Tom spoke on divisions in the church in Corinthians 1. And as we've said already, it's such an important issue for the Corinthian church that they were such a divided church that Paul spends a whole bunch of chapters talking about it, which is why we're talking about it again today. So I want to read it to you now, and then I'll hopefully try and explain what Paul's trying to say. So 1 Corinthians 3. Paul writes, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not ready for it, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos. Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants, through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants, or nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks he is wise in this age, 
Let him become a fool, that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, but they are futile. So let no one boast in men. For all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours and you are Christ's and Christ is God's. So chapter three, I don't know about you, but there was lots of images in there, wasn't there? Lots of pictures that Paul's trying to show us, lots of metaphors. I wonder how many you spotted. For me, as I read through it, it feels a bit like walking through a gallery. I think I've got a picture up here. Who enjoys going to galleries? I know we haven't been able to for a while, but some of you. Now, I don't know if any of you know this, but uh, when I was a teenager, I actually went to art college, um, ECAP, over in Eastbourne. And part of our course was about um, art appreciation, art history. And we had to talk at length about famous paintings and artworks. I don't know if you've ever tried doing that. But you can't just say, I like it, I don't like it. You have to talk about why. You have to talk about what's going on in the picture. And we learned to really try to delve into, an, into a picture and try and think, what is the artist trying to say? Why have they used those colors? What's significant about the, the images and the, and the objects? What links can we make with other artworks? And I feel Paul's done doing that as well in this, in this chapter. He's used so many pictures, but they're there for a reason. And it's important that we delve into them and try and understand what it is Paul's trying to say to us. In a real gallery, um, a curator would sort the artwork according to theme or period or, or, or the artist. And again, Paul has put so many pictures in this chapter, but they are there as a, in, in a similar theme. And it's all about division. Paul wants to challenge the church in Corinth about their divisions by reminding them of the gospel and what God has done. He wants to show them that Jesus is the only thing that can unite them and how that should affect everything else that they see. It should affect how they view themselves, who they are in Christ. It should affect how they relate to one another, how they view the leaders in the church, and how they pay their parts in building up the church with one another. So the first section um, is all about milk and babies. And as Sai said last week, Paul's been building up this argument in uh, chapter 2 about wisdom, and then he rebukes them here in chapter 3. See, Paul said that a spiritual person is mature, they have the wisdom of God revealed through the Spirit. And then Paul says, but I can't address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants. And this is the first picture, babies and milk, and it's not a compliment, is it? He's not saying to them that they're unbelievers, but what he's saying is that by the way they're behaving, they don't look like believers. Sai challenged us last week and reminded us that a sign of maturity is the outworking of a renewed mind, a changed life. See, Paul reminds them that he came and fed them with milk. And that's the gospel. That's the first and most important teaching that they needed, that Christ died for their sins, that faith in him alone is how they were born again. Now, the solid food isn't necessarily a different teaching or a new teaching, but a sign of maturity that they weren't ready for. The writer of Hebrews uses a similar picture of milk and solid food when he's talking about maturity of faith. It says in Hebrews 5, For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, 
for those who have the powers of discernment trained by, dis- by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. You see, we should all be maturing in Christ, shouldn't we? And then we can teach others out of that maturity. If you think about a real baby for a moment, they don't stay on milk forever, do they? There are signs a child is growing, their first steps, their first words, um, a better understanding of who they are and how they relate to other people. But Paul says to the Corinthians, they're not maturing. Where there should be evidence of changed lives, he's rebuking them for the jealousy of each other. He says there is strife between them. They're arguing over who their favorite leader is in the church, who they should be following really. They've not grasped the weight of the gospel and who they are in Christ. If they had, they'd realize that in Christ, they've been united as a family of God, haven't they? And yet, they're allowing divisions. In Christ, they've been forgiven of their sins, and yet they're allowing such sinful behaviors in their church. In Christ, they've been shown so much mercy, and yet they're letting major arguments divide them. In Christ, they have the spirit of Christ in them, and yet they're living as if they don't even know him. Paul's looking at the church and trying to find unity, but all he can see is division. See, we are called to look differently, aren't we? We're in a world where it's so easy to put other people down and so easy to criticize. You just have to look at social media, don't you, to see how easy it is just to post a comment and disagree and fall out. But yet a united church is such a powerful demonstration of the kingdom of God, isn't it? We're united in Christ. When we allow the gospel and the word of God to feed us, we will mature, and that affects how we see and how we treat other people you realize that we're united in Christ. We're one body. We're one church. Now, in my family, we quite like watching nature uh, documentaries, especially the David Attenborough ones. And I just wanted to show you a picture of something. I, I saw this in a, this week, and it just, for me, it just shouted unity. Now, these, these, are red, uh, these are fire ants in the Amazon rainforest. I don't know if anyone saw this. Um, and every year in the rainforest, the rains come, and the ground gets completely flooded. And these ants have to then leave their nest, otherwise they'll drown. And what they do is they, they build a raft together. And because they're so packed together and they link all their legs, they create a bubble of air underneath them and they're able to float on the surface of the water. And they stay linked together for weeks as they float along on the water. And in the documentary, even like other predators came, like other insects tried to come and attack, you know, pick them off, and they fought back and they closed ranks. And David Attenborough, in his classic narration, said, working together, they are unsinkable. I thought, that's unity, isn't it? That's what it looks like to be united. They're all linked together. They won't let go because they've got a common goal. They're desperate to, to hold together. They're fighting to stop anything from breaking them apart. And no one's putting themselves first. You wonder what it'd be like to be at the bottom, but I don't think they mind because they're together, aren't they? What about us, though, as a church? Will we allow ourselves to be jealous of others? Will you allow yourself to be caught up in gossip and quarreling? Or like the ants, will you fight for unity so that we're unsinkable? Paul comes to the main issue in the church, which is their arguments over the leaders. See, some are saying, I follow Paul, and some are saying, I follow Apollos. And Tom introduced this brilliantly two weeks ago. If you've not had a chance to listen, you should. Again, the church in Corinth have taken their eyes off God and his work in the church. They're fixated, instead of looking at Christ, they're fixated on these kind of celebrity leaders, aren't they? Paul or Apollos or Peter. 
And Peter and Paul, sorry, has to refocus their gaze. He asks the question, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? And then he answers them. He says, we're servants. Because he's saying, you're holding me up here and you're holding Apollos up here, but actually, you should be looking here. We're down here. We're serving you. Don't put us up on a pedestal. And it's another picture Paul wants them to see. You see, the word servants actually translates better as one who waits on tables. So what Paul's saying is, who are these great leaders that you're trying to show off? Actually, we're the ones just serving the food. He's demonstrating to them how they should be relating to one another. See, while they're putting, each other, putting themselves first, they're arguing amongst themselves and being divided, he, who could easily boast of his achievements, he says, who am I? I'm just a servant. When was the last time you rated the quality of a restaurant just on the waiters or the waitresses? Or have you ever heard of a restaurant being awarded a Michelin staff because of the table service? Probably not. You see, I've, I've done my time as a waiter back in my university years, and it's, a, it's an important job. Of course it is. You have to make sure you don't drop the food, don't want to spill the drinks, make sure you pick the right order and smile, even when the uh, customers are grumpy. But actually, you know that the important work is going on in the kitchen, isn't it? You're just bringing the food. And that's what Paul's reminding the church too. He's saying, we as leaders are here to serve you. We've come to be, we've, God has assigned us this job. Paul knows the importance of his work, but he also knows it's God's kitchen. God's the most important one here. And then he makes the same point again in the next picture when he describes them as farmers, which relates nicely to the story we read at the beginning. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered. That was our part. That was the role that God gave us. But it was God who gave the growth. See, Paul was the one who came to Corinth and started the church, so he really did plant the church. And it's clear that Apollos was a very powerful speaker, and a lot of people liked how he spoke. In both these pictures, servants and farmers, Paul's acknowledging that they have an important role as leaders, of course, but he makes it very clear, God is key in it all. God is behind it, God is working through it. And again, Paul says, neither of them are anything, in verse 7, but God is everything. I thought it's fitting just to, to also remember that we are celebrating our 40th uh, birthday as a church, so happy birthday, church. And um, it was really great to have our quiz night on Monday for those who joined us online. And I was really struck by a couple of things that I heard said. And when Paul was speaking about his book and documenting the church over 40 years, I was really impressed when Paul said, or just really challenged when Paul said that, that everything we've done as a church for the last 40 years has been for the glory of God. I thought that was really telling. It's not for Paul's glory or anyone else's glory. It was for God's glory. And then when Ray was asked to preach, if I remember correctly, his opening words were, thank you, God, for your church in Hailsham. It wasn't Ray's church. It's not Paul's church. It's not Sai's church. It's God's church. Isn't that wonderful that we have so many amongst us who have kept their eyes on God throughout this whole time of 40 years? And as Paul keeps saying, the best is yet to come. Amen? And that's such a stark contrast to the Corinthians, isn't it? See, they've taken their eyes off God, and they're arguing about who their favorite leader is, whose church they want to be a part of. I want to be with Paul. I want to be with Apollos. Now, it's important to note there's no, there's no uh, competition between Paul and Apollos. He says very clearly, we're fellow workers. We are one. 
But they're divided because they've forgotten who the head of the church really is. Paul said in Colossians 1 about Jesus, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus, he is the head of the church. He is head of the body of the church. See, Paul's saying, some of you are looking to me and holding me up here on a pedestal, and some of you are holding up Apollos. You're looking at us, but actually, you've missed the point. You should be looking at Jesus. Um, Tom Wright explains it so well in his book. I'm just going to take a quote from what he said. And he reminds us that, that Paul isn't jealous of other people putting Apollos before him. That's not what it's about. That's what Tom writes. The quote should be up on the, on the screen. He says, Paul is just as cross about anyone, about people putting him on a pedestal, as he is about anyone else being there. There is only one pedestal in the kingdom of God, and only one person to be put on it. It isn't a statue to be put up in, as a monument in a town square. It's a cross. And the Messiah who hung and died on it passed judgment on all human fame, celebrity, popularity, and reputation. So the people are putting Paul and Apollos up on these pedestals, and Paul's saying, no, 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 you've got to put Jesus up there, only him. And that's important for us, isn't it, if we want to be united as a church. There's no pedestals, there's no place for pedestals here in our church. There's no place for falling out over favorites. And there's no place for looking down on anyone else either. And like Paul and Apollos, if we want to see growth as a church, we need to be fellow workers and we need to serve one another. I know it's difficult with this pandemic, but I really want to challenge you to pray into how you can serve in this church. What gifts has God given you that, that, that you can serve others here with? Okay, on to the next picture. Paul describes himself as a skilled master builder. In case they hadn't got his point, he's making it again with another powerful image. He's saying he laid the foundation and now other people are building on top of it. In the same way he said, I planted and someone else is watering. It's the same image. And again, Paul's reminding them it's all about Jesus. He's saying Jesus is the only foundation we can build on. Jesus has to come first. His death and resurrection must underpin everything we do as a church. Do you see the themes? If you feed milk to an infant, they will mature. If you plant in a field, it will grow. If you lay a foundation, you can build on it. See, they're divided because they're trying to build on their own ideas, their own wisdom, as we saw last week, probably building on with their own teaching. This means that some of them are trying to lay a different foundation other than Christ. And Paul says in verse 11, you can't do that. It has to be all about Jesus. What's interesting is there's a slight uh, shift of focus here in this section. And Paul stops talking about what he's done and now starts talking about what other people are going to do as they build on this foundation that he's laid. And it's not just about Apollos. He says that everyone in the church has a role to play. He says, let each one take care how they build. But what does he mean by all these building materials? Gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw. And then they're tested by fire. What does he mean? To better understand it, it helps us to jump forward a bit to verse 16 and ask the question, what are they actually building with this foundation? And if you look at verse 16, it's a temple. He says, do you not know that you are God's temple and God's spirit dwells in you? In the Old Testament, the temple was the place where the presence of God dwelt. 
But since Christ's death and resurrection and ascension, the Holy Spirit has been poured out on all believers. Each one of us is a temple, and as a church, we are one temple together. God dwells in us. Now, if you've read Corinthians through, you'll know that Paul uses this phrase a few times. In verse 6, for example, he talks about um, sexual sin. And he's saying, why would you do this to yourself when you're a temple of the Holy Spirit? But in this chapter, it's actually saying, why would you do this to others? Don't you know they are temples of the Holy Spirit? So the challenge is how we take care of one another. See, just as the foundation is a person, Jesus, the building is also people too. And that's why Paul says each one must take care how we build, because we have a responsibility to build up one another in God. But it does come with a warning. He says we can build well with the right materials, but we can also build badly with the wrong materials, and some may even destroy. See, the materials matter, don't they? If you're trying to build something, you have to be intentional what you pick. You don't want to build a house with the wrong materials that will fall down. You have to think, are these materials going to last? Am I choosing the right thing to build with? And at that point, I think we need to have a quick game, a little illustration. So I need two volunteers who will help me build, preferably two from the same household. I've only got one. Yep. Ben, Lily, would you? Yeah, go on then. I've become right. Okay, right. If you come each stand behind one of the tables. Don't open the bag yet. I'll keep out your way. Okay, right. So inside the bag are some building materials. And I'll give you 30 seconds to see who can build the tallest structure. Yeah, you clear with that? Excellent. Okay, so 30 seconds starting now. Go. Right, who can build the biggest structure with what you have? In case you can't see, Ben's got nice Lego bricks. Lily's got fried eggs and cheese and dinosaurs and cups. Come on, Lily. <laughs> Don't forget to cheer them on. Ten seconds. Five, four, three... Two, one, and stop. Well done. Okay. Thank you. Leave them there. I'll clear up later. Well done. Was that easy, Lily? No. No. Why not? Because I had weird objects. Weird objects to build with. That was the point. Thank you, though, Lily. And Ben, you've done a fantastic job. Was that easy? Yeah. Yep, of course. Thank you. So you don't go and sit down. Well done. So, I know, that was a bit unfair, sorry Lily, but uh, if you try building the wrong things, it's not going to work, is it? If you build with the right materials, it's going to last. And that's the point of Paul's trying to make here. See, the actual materials that Paul's talking about and the fire aren't to be taken literally, but again, it's another picture. The Corinthians weren't called to build a physical building, but a community of people, and so are we. See, this section's about the lasting value of what we build in the lives of one another. If you look at the materials, the six materials, actually there's two groups. The first three, gold, silver, precious stones, they speak of value, of splendor, of permanence. Whereas, and they also echo the same materials that Solomon used when he built the original temple in Jerusalem. But then the wood, the hay, the straw, they're cheap in comparison, aren't they? 
and they won't last. If there was a fire, they wouldn't, they wouldn't survive. See, these materials are therefore the works that each of us do in the lives of one another. What we teach, how we influence one another, how we support and how we lead others in the church. The poor materials, just to name a few, could be gossip, talking badly about someone in the church, arguing with others, unhelpful criticism, showing favoritism, and sadly, there's probably lots and lots more. Good materials, encouraging one another, praying for and and with one another, showing patience and kindness, helping others understand scripture, discipling one another, and again, so many more things that we can do that will build up others in lasting ways. Whatever it is we build within each other, what's important is that we build on the foundation of Christ. It has to come out of that. The fire that Paul talks about, that's the judgment on these works. Paul is very clear that there will be a day when God judges each person for their works and will reward them accordingly. It says in Romans 14, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. On that note, it's important that we say that it's not, Paul's not saying that our salvation rests on these works. That would be the exact opposite of what Paul's always said and what we know of the gospel. We're saved through grace by faith. Paul is clear that there will be a reward for the works we do that is of lasting value. And there will be loss to those whose work is of poor value. But it does say in God's mercy that even then, even if we build poorly in God's mercy, they'll still be saved. So we have a responsibility to build up one another as temples of the Holy Spirit. And the temple, as we've seen in the Bible, is a place of worship where God was at the center. And that's too what we should be, people of worship where God is at the center. Something the Corinthians weren't doing. So the question is, are we building up one another in ways that will be of lasting value? Is what you're building in one another's lives helping them to worship God? I'd like to invite uh, the band back up, please, just as I close. So just in summary of what I've said, Paul has rebuked them for allowing divisions in the church. They're arguing about their own wisdom and their own ideas of who and what is important. He's addressed them through these numbers of different pictures to refocus them on God and put him at center. See, Paul's solution to division is to promote unity by reminding them of who they are in Christ and how that should affect how they treat each other. So like a family, we can mature together by feeding on the gospel and God's word. Like servants, we must serve one another with the gifts that God's assigned us. Like a farm, it takes many fellow workers, like in the story, rolling up our sleeves. We play our part in God's work knowing that he's the one only that can bring growth. Like a building, we have responsibility, don't we, to build up one another well by helping each other to keep God at the center. And this is only possible, as Paul said in verse 18, when you become a fool, when you humble yourself before God, remembering that he is the one who has done all all of it for us through Christ. And it's then we realize that we have nothing to boast of in ourselves. As Paul said in chapter 1, that him who boasts, boasts in the Lord, not in themselves. Amen? Great. We're going to worship now. If you'd like to stand, I'd like to pray. And then uh, Andy's going to lead us in one more song. Father God, thank you for all you have done. Yeah, we thank you here in Helsham. We have 40 years 
as a church. And we know it's all because of you. You are the one who has brought growth. We just ask God to help us to put ourselves back in the correct focus on you alone. We thank you that you are the foundation that we are growing, that we are building on. We thank you it's by your cross that we are saved, not by our own works. We have nothing to boast of. We ask God that you'd help us as a church to be united, to be linked together, to not let anything divide us. Help us to fix our eyes on Christ every day. Lord, we thank you that every one of us has a part to play in, in this field, in this building. We thank you, God, that you are moving in this town. You are moving in us and you are moving in this church. And we ask, Lord God, that you would help us to be united as we move forward, as we advance in your name. Bless you, Lord.